Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Good morning, Project Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Actually, it's afternoon, 12.15. Hopefully you had brunch. If not, lunch later. But we are talking about food today. You excited? All right, well, we're in the middle of a series called Marked by Jesus, and we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we think that we're probably going to go through this for a couple years. So um, this is like a verse-by-verse study that we get to just dive in and really understand the Word of God, because we truly believe that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you're confused as to where God is taking you, what your purpose is, the Word of God is a light unto your feet. And a lamp lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And he directs us with his word. And spiritual maturity really comes through the knowledge of the word. Not just the knowledge but of word, but also in deed. In doing what the word tells us to. In doing what God has called us to. So, we really truly um, are excited about going verse by verse. This morning I get to talk about when Jesus feeds the 5,000. I don't know how many of you have grown up in church and you've heard this story and I mean you might imagine Jesus on the gnolly grass it's nice and green and he's just moseying and people need to be fed so he's feeding them right and you're like you even imagine a black or a red and white picnic blanket right it's just like really a nice story that you tell your kids and you put in the children's bibles and you're like man this is this is so amazing he multiplies the food and so, I, I mean, it's, it is great, it is a miracle, and it's a very significant miracle. In fact, it's in all four Gospels. And when Jesus, um, or when a Gospel tells the story of a miracle four times, like four times, each of the Gospels share this, this miracle, it points to us some, you know, significance and importance. And so, you also should note that the Hebrew language doesn't have punctuation. So when words are repeated, that's really putting emphasis on certain words and where you should really be diving in for understanding. And so there's something that we should really um, learn about this. But it's not just the miracle in and of itself, not just the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. So we're going to take a look at the scripture in a different way than I think any of us have ever really looked at it. In fact, this is it was, it was so fun for me to get to study this um, because it, you just kind of get to hear the scripture, understand a scripture outside of, you know, a children's Bible, right? So um, let's get ready to just jump in, Mark 6, 30 through 44. But before we jump in, I want to just kind of set the stage. If you've been here the last couple weeks, um, you heard that, uh, that John the Baptist was beheaded. And, um, and then before that, Jesus had sent out 72 disciples, 36 areas. He sent them two by two. So people were empowered to minister the gospel. Jesus was saying, you have all power and authority. Go minister. So they started healing. They started doing miracles. And then one of the greatest disciples, um, the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist, was beheaded for really what he stood for. And you guys are all really encouraged that when we receive power and authority, there's a possibility that we will be beheaded. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not, actually. So um, we're just going to we're just gonna go into this, though, and really um, unpack what Mark 6, 30 through 44 says. So what is happening is the apostles are coming back 
And um, they're meeting back up with Jesus after having been sent out. And they bring word to Jesus that um, John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist was also Jesus' cousin. So let's pick it up here at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were going, coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going, going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, Jesus, and he, Jesus, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered the disciples, you give them something to eat. Somebody say, you, you give them something to eat. To eat, And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he began, and then he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for what you want to speak to your people today. I thank you that it is an empowering word, and it gives us authority, truth, direction, um, and just something to sustain us that's greater than anything that this world can give us. So, God, we thank you for your word. May it change us from the inside out in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, many of us read the story imagining this green pasture and Jesus just frolicking with the daisies and feeding people and throwing out, right? If that's not how you think of it, maybe you're like, oh, Jesus fed 5,000. And you start to think of, um, you know, impoverished, impoverished slums where um, a relief organization is feeding a lot of people, right? Well, I need you to understand that there's something very significant about this area and this region in which the crowds are following Jesus. Typically in scriptures past, you've, you've read that Jesus had this following. People wanted to see the miracles that he was performing, wanted to hear about this guy because he's gained quite an audience. He's a bit of a, um, what we would call an Instagram influencer, right? He's just real, he's an influencer. So everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants to be near him. But what's interesting about this region is that this is a region where a lot of zealots who were um, Jewish were gathering to do some, some training to help overthrow the Roman government, Roman Empire. These people, these Jewish people, they were um, oppressed, they felt, by the Roman government. So you have to understand there's a lot of things going on here. There's a lot of people who are seeing who Jesus is, what he does and what he represents, and who John the Baptist was in relationship to Jesus, who was just beheaded. And then there's this government who, who killed him. There's this empire that killed him. And this is the government that they're trying to overturn. They're trying to, um, they're, they're trying to start a revolution, essentially. And so these people, when they see Jesus, 
they're actually wanting for him to be the solution to some of their problems. And I think somebody needed to hear this today, that you are looking for Jesus to bring truth and justice into your life. And he's saying the way that I'm going to bring about truth and justice in your life may be different than you expect. Because you see, the crowds that were swarming Jesus and his disciples, they, it's said in John 6.15 that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. Make him king by force. That means the people wanted Jesus to rule them and, and lead this revolution. And they wanted him to do things for them the way that they wanted him to do things, not the way that, he, that Jesus wanted them to do things. Is that speaking to anybody in this place? How many people serve a God and serve a Lord and sometimes you just wish he would do things the way you want him to do things in the time that you want him to do them? And guess what? We can't be submitted to that kind of Jesus because really that's submission to yourself. And that's a form of even self-worship. So I would, I would say to you, this scripture is less about the miracle of feeding 5,000. And it's more about revolutionizing the way the crowd thought of Jesus. And I think in this place, we need to start changing and shifting the perspective on how we see Jesus and how he's going to meet our needs. And it's less about how, what he's going to meet in us and more how he wants us to serve others around us. So here's the thing. Why were people gathered in this location? They were trying to start a revolution. They were trying to start a revolution. And they really just thought, this is where we're going to hand people weapons and then we're going to train them on how to fight we're going to train them. We're going to show them how to, how to overturn this, this empire with force. And why were they wanting to be around Jesus? Because I thought Jesus was going to be one of them. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus is that when he saw them, he had compassion on them, number one. But also he said, I'm not going to take up weapons and teach people how to fight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them the word of God because it says after he came and, um, and he saw and had compassion on them and he saw that there were sheep that needed a shepherd, he said, I'm not going to just give them, I'm not, I'm not going to do what they want. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start training them. I'm going to start teaching them and then I'm going to give them bread. What does bread signify to us besides carbohydrates? And like the enemy of every one of your diets, right? Come on. But what does it represent? It means life something that will sustain you, something that will fill you up and keep you satisfied. And what does Jesus do? He gives himself to them and teaches them from the word, and he is the word, right? And then he gives them bread. But the interesting thing is that when he looks out, he, says, he sees there are sheep without a shepherd. The word shepherd in the Jewish context was at times used in a pastoral sense. A lot of times you'll hear, you know, like Caleb and Chrissy and Lauren and Veronica and all the pastors on staff, Randy. I, all of us, were, we're, we're the, the pastors on staff. We're shepherding the flock, right? But in Jewish times, a shepherd is actually often used to uh, describe a military leader. A military leader who would mobilize Israelite forces, and so in Numbers 27, 17, you'll read about when Joshua was appointed as the political and military leader over the Hebrew people. And the Lord said to Joshua that he was like a sheep that was 
um, leading, or he, they were, he was a shepherd leading sheep. So Joshua was likened, although he was a military um, leader, he was also a shepherd and he was leading people. And so the thing that's so cool about this is that they, people want a revolution. And they want Jesus to acquiesce to what they want to do. They were going to take him by force. You are going to lead us. You're going to lead us this way. But what he does is he flips the model around. And he flips the model of bringing liberation and freedom to these people by showing compassion. By showing compassion and being with them, not handing them a weapon, but by giving them the bread of life. Jesus' model is completely countercultural. And I want you to understand that we are an army rising. You're like, what? I came here for a good word, Chrissy. I'm not about to fight. I don't have that energy. And I don't know what this whole spiritual warfare is about. But here, I'm just telling you right now, we're, we're people who are supposed to bring about change to our community. Would you agree with that? And, you know, armies and wars that, as, that, the armies that assembled anytime there was war, they were looking to bring about change. So let me tell you right now, Project Church, West Sac, and downtown, we are an army that is assembling to take the land that we have already inherited in Jesus' name. So I want you to understand, too, and I, and I felt God drop this on me in first service, that we are taking territory that we've already inherited in Old Sacramento. And so I want you to understand that we want to be ready to take that land. And I'm not like taking it by force. No, we want to be ready to spill out compassion on his people and bring people into the family of God and start saying, you you got to be a part of this army. There's something that, there's a revolution that's starting. Rachel, she didn't hear about my message in first service, and she said, we're praying for a movement. We're praying for a movement of God's people through Project Church in Old Sacramento. Do you understand the significance that God would have us preach this message and no we didn't plan unity service alongside of this you know preaching schedule it just so happened that the crest was having an event let's be real <laughs> having an event downtown couldn't meet there but why not have a unity service and this is the text that we're coming on to and I'm telling you right now that Jesus is telling us Holy Spirit is telling us it's time to inherit and take over the land that I've already given you are you ready church are you ready to do all that he has called us to do and be? Because here's the thing. We're not, you know, up here preaching the word every Sunday to just be like, I want you to feel good about life. And just have, be happy, you know, just so you can leave here with a smile on your face and you're rotting inside. You know, like it's not here to just like, woo, I'm not just here to pump you up. I was never a cheerleader. Nothing against cheerleaders, kind of. Okay. Um, but here's, I'm, no, I'm just joking. Caleb has told me to not make fun of cheerleaders. Anyways, I'll stop. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, it says this. And he gave the apostles, or the pastors, the preachers, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers the job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I am not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I will do it to, in such a way that brings about hope because that's what we are called to do. But it's also to equip the saints. Somebody in this place say, I am a saint. 
You are saints, and God has called you to be equipped and ready to take on everything that he has purposed for you and given for you. It's not like we're going in to take over the land that needs to be ours. It is already ours. It is our inheritance in Jesus. So let's step into it with confidence. Let's be equipped this morning. Are you ready? Amen. Amen. So we want you to understand that you're the hands and feet of Jesus. I know that Caleb spoke a message a few weeks ago, and he said, it's your turn. It's your turn to be and take on that authority and power that God has already placed into you. It's your turn to do greater things in Jesus' name than Jesus. Did you hear that? It's your turn. It is your turn, and I want to tell you today, it's time for you to be the change. It's not like, come on, Caleb, come on, Christy, come on, Lauren, let's, let's figure out like, how we can do church the best and strategically this way, blah, blah, blah. No, it's time for you to be equipped to go out and be the hands of Jesus. You be the people who show up for people who are hurting. You be the people who visit the hospitals. You be the people who changes the community. You be the people who changes and speaks the gospel. You be the people that step out in faith and do everything that God has called you to do. It's not the people on stage. It's not the people who are singing and playing instruments. It's every one of us. It's every single one of us. So this morning, the title of my message is, You Be the Change. You Be the Change. It says in the verse where after the disciples are asking, like, what are we going to feed them? Like, even if we spend our, all of our money on food, there's no way we can feed everybody. And you know what Jesus responds to him by saying is this, you give them something to eat. So we're talking this morning about how we can be the change, right? Gandhi said it, be the change that you want to see. What change do you want to see? Be a part of it. You be the change. Let's do the work of the ministry that every single one of us in this room is called to be. Amen? Do you believe that? Somebody say, I am a saint. Again. You'd have to say again. I'm glad you didn't. You caught me. Sharp crowd today. So how can you be the change? Number one, it starts with health. How can you be the change? It starts with health. How many people recharge by watching Netflix? How many people just recharge by, you know, doing absolutely nothing? Right? After long days of work, there's so many days where I'm just like, babe, I just don't want to do anything. I just don't want to do anything. And so I want you to be encouraged that Jesus prioritizes rest. In this world where we are all about achieving, we're all about obtaining, we're all about getting, we're all about grasping, we're all about striving, Jesus prioritizes rest. He prioritizes rest, and that's honestly why you'll see a lot of us pastors on staff, a lot of even a lot of people who are leaders in this church or volunteers, they always take one day of Sabbath. We take one day where we totally rest. And you need to understand that Jesus walks in at this time broken, heartbroken, because in like I said earlier that his cousin just died. And he gets word from the disciples. The disciples have been ministering. And let me tell you, when you minister and when people serve and when you, when you share um, the gospel, it's not just like this. I'm sharing some news and some head knowledge. It's something since it, the gospel has changed our souls. It's something that is pulled out of our souls and given to other people. So it is a tiring thing. It is a tiring thing. It's a soul-taking thing. It's a soul-energizing thing. 
And so it is important, and Jesus recognizes that ministering for these disciples and doing the work that they were doing required rest. Required rest. And he cared about their health. In this place, you need to recognize that Jesus wants to give some of you rest. He wants to give you some rest, and he wants to say, stop, stop just striving. Just rest in me. Just rest in me. But here's the thing that's interesting, and you probably caught it yourself, that when they went to go try rest, people showed up. So what do you do? What do you do? I, I'm not going to lie. There are Fridays that Caleb and, ha- and I have, like, we just spend it only with our family and only with our kids and, you know, soul-filling times. And we'll def- we, we don't schedule a lot of meetings on Fridays. We make exceptions because we're not religious. It's not about the letter of the law, but it's about the spirit of the law. Amen. Somebody say thank you for not being religious or Jesus helping us to not be religious. But, but here's what happens. Jesus was trying to teach the disciples something, that it was going to require a lot of them to do the work of the ministry. And that even when people came and needed something, they still served. They still served. Sometimes doing nothing isn't the best kind of rest, is my point. I actually read this by um, Dr. Carolyn Leaf posted this on her Instagram. I don't think she actually said it. It's actually a, a motivational speaker, but it says this. She posted it. You often feel tired not because you've done too much, but because you've done too little of what sparks light in you. I just wonder how many of us are walking outside of our purpose and we're so tired and we're actually not producing much for the kingdom. You might be producing a lot in your workplace. You might be producing the dollar dollars, but I don't know that we're doing anything for the kingdom of God. Are we doing work that is eternal? Are we doing work that's eternal? And that is no way, I mean, we're still going to grind. Everyone still, please grind. We've been called to just do that work. But I want you to know and understand that God will give you rest even in your work if you're doing what he has called you to do. If he's given you, if you've been obedient to do what he's called you to do. So start with your health. Make sure you're doing something that gives you life. Extroverts, how many extroverts in the room? Some people think, like an introvert would say to me, like, why, why would you, like, go to a party on your day off? Because I'm like, people give me life. I need it. You know, and then introverts would say no. You know, like, so um, there's different ways that God can recharge us and understand and know that about yourself and know what he's calling you to do. So how can you be the change? Number one, start with your health. Understand your health. Number two, See the way that Jesus sees. See the way that Jesus sees. I love how in verse 34 it says, when he saw ashore, he saw a great, wait, excuse me. And he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, somebody say, compassion. He had compassion on them. Compassion on them. You know, are there ever moments where you just feel so irritated or annoyed with somebody in your life, probably somebody who's, closer to you and you're like, oh, they're just struggling with the same old thing. And it's just like you want to hit your head like this. Just stop doing that. Or just, yeah. And it's just like you're kind of like irritated and you're annoyed. And when we're easily irritated and we're easily annoyed, I just wonder if that's God just kind of being like, no, that's an opportunity not to be irritated or annoyed. It's an opportunity to have compassion on them. 
I know, that one's a hard one because that's what he's been working on with me this week. Where I'm like, why am I so easily irritated? Why is my patience lacking? Maybe it's because I haven't plugged into Jesus and asked him to give me his sight, to give me his perspective, and to see that he has compassion on all people, even the people that look insignificant, even the people that are interruption, even the people who inconvenience our schedules. Jesus' ministry is based off of meeting the needs of those who would be considered inconveniences. He, was, he, he lived a life that was interrupted at all times, but he served and he was ready to give compassion. But sometimes it's not just doing something. Sometimes it's just seeing somebody and being compassionate and having empathy for somebody. The, the Hebrew word for compassion is to suffer with. It means to suffer with. Have you been suffering with the people who are suffering around you? Are you the person who has, and I, I'll, dude, I'm, I am almost ashamed, and I'm not. There's no shame in Jesus, but sometimes a little embarrassed to say, yeah, I'm just like, just get over it, you know? Rarely. Never for anybody in this room either. So, But to suffer with, are we ready to suffer with people? The Greek Meaning for compassion actually means something a little bit more like stronger emotion, but it's like a, a churning of inner feeling, almost like turmoil, but it's a churning of inner feeling. Like you can't rest because you have so much compassion for that person. You're in turmoil because they're in turmoil, right? Do we have compassion for people? Here's the thing that's really interesting about sheep, right? Because we're talking about sheep and a shepherd, and Jesus sees these people as sheep. And there's something that's interesting about sheep, and they're dumb. I mean, you've heard this, right? Sheep are dumb. They're not the smartest animal in the barn or farm. <laughs> Where are she? Okay. And so you'll find them at times just on their backs with all fours up, right? And the, the, brain, the, the blood is, like, going to their brain, and they like, they're immobilized. And the word for this position that sheep find themselves in oftentimes is downcast. It's downcast. And that's where we get the word downcast when we're low in our feelings, when we're depressed, when we're full of anxiety, and we are full of burdens in our lives, and we're just downcast that our heads go down and our eyes go down and our dispositions go down and our hearts are hardened or our hearts are just hurting. And this is what he's saying when he sees a crowd of people. If he was to walk in this room, he would look around and he would see sheep who are downcast at times. And does, does he say, come on, buck up? Is he like your pastor who has said, just get over it? You know, no, he's the He's the pastor. He's the good shepherd that says, I want to suffer with you. I want, there's something churning on the inside of me because of what you are going through. I'm going to walk it with you. I'm going to walk through it with you in community. I'm going to be close to you. I'm going to be near to you. I'm going to direct you the place that you have to go, the places you have to go to get healing. We need to be the shepherd to the people that we influence and the people that we lead that is keenly aware when people are downcast, when our sheep are downcast. Can we be those people when people are immobilized and they can't take another step? They can hardly leave their house. They don't even want to step in a relationship with people because it's so scary because they can't. They literally can't. Let's be the church that is compassionate. 
Let's be the people that are compassionate because that's what is going to start a revolution in our city. It's not going to be taking the people and taking land by force. It's going to be by having a revolution of compassion. Let's be compassionate, church. See the way that Jesus sees. Or in a song it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's what Jesus did. And that's how we can be the change. Have compassion. Number three, we need to seek to sacrifice. Seek sacrifice. Seek to sacrifice. Here's the thing. I know Caleb has told some stories here about our son who... um, he celebrated huge when one of his play or one of his uh, teammates got a shot, and he hadn't had a shot all year long, right? All season long. Well, we've entered another season of basketball, and without Caleb having to say anything, all of the team, not just my boys, the whole team was trying to get Philip one shot because he hasn't made a basket. I didn't think he would even yesterday. It was, it wasn't likely. But listen, the whole team was doing everything they could to get Phil of the ball, get Phil of the ball. And on the bench, get Phil of the ball. If somebody shot the ball, get Phil of the ball, Phil of the ball, Phil of the ball. And finally, with two games to go in the season, he finally got a shot off. And they celebrated and they were happy. And I'm, I'm telling you, and it's a Christian basketball program, and I know that they teach a concept and it's something that we've taught our kids, and it's probably something you could teach your kids and just get it in their vocabulary, get it in their minds, that I am third. Somebody say third. God first, other second, I am third. I know I've talked about this. It's something that we've really taken on, and Caleb and I got to see the fruit of planting that seed of I am third and seeing the whole team rejoicing because another kid got a shot. And you know what? That was self-sacrificial because the other kids could have had way more points. And, like, we were probably close to losing because they would not take a shot. They wanted Philip to take the shot who was not making a shot. Do you understand? And you understand how a competitive mom who's not actually the coach but coaches really well from, like, the audience. Like, you can understand how I was like, yeah, get the Philip the ball, but please just shoot the ball. If he doesn't make it, get the rebound so we don't lose. Okay. I have issues with that. Okay, gosh darn it. No, I didn't realize how much issue, I mean, I as a mother was not very self-sacrificial. I was like, dude, Kana, just, just shoot to layup, you know. Okay, get it to fill up, you know. I'm like, I'm great, fill up. But, you know, <laughs> it's not normal to be self-sacrificial, especially not in basketball. And especially not in my family. I'm done. But, but you know, there's a moment that we have to understand why why is, what's so hard? Why, why is it hard for, not just in a competition like this, but what keeps people from being sacrificial? And I, and I thought of a couple things. Number one, I, I think that some people think that what they have can't be used. Like, why would I sacrifice that? It's not, it's not really going to help anyways, you know. Or they think what I have is not enough. And let me tell you a truth just to debunk both of those things. You can be self-sacrificing because what you do have, the little that you do have, God will use it. God will use it. And this is what he does um, with the bread. Some people think like a loaf of bread or like, you know, Wonder Bread or big baguettes that you get from the bakery. And no, this was just small pieces of bread that could fit the palm of my hand. Just five of those. That was a loaf of bread. That was a, a, a bread loaf, okay? Not a baguette, not a big package. And Jesus used the little that was given to feed a lot. Jesus wants to use the little gift, the not enough that you have, and he will, he will multiply it. 
He will multiply it. The impact of your little can change the direction and destination and trajectory of a person's eternity. He can use the little that you have. But also, I want us to understand that sometimes if we decide to go not the positive route of helping people, but when we come up against a situation and we can be pretty negative and we, here, let me back up. The life of faith is lived in the deep end. Is in the deep end. If we're going to see God do things in a mighty way and move things, move in ways that we've never seen him move before, we're going to live a life of faith that means just throwing ourselves into the deep end without any floaties. It's not in the shallow water where we're just kind of, you know, walking with insecurity shoulders and just, you know, like, oh, I'll try that. No, it's, li it's lived in the deep end. And I want you to understand that if it's not, if we're not being positive, taking positive steps of faith, when we exercise unbelief and doubt to a point of negativity, then I feel like we can have a pretty great negative impact. Listen to this. In John 6, 6 through 9, this is also the account, same account, but in the Gospel of John. It says this, Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Totally um, not believing that Jesus can do anything, even though they had been performing miracles. Do you understand that they've been raising people Okay, they've been healing people from great sickness and disease. They've been doing all these amazing miracles, but then they didn't, they didn't believe that God could multiply some food. And here's the thing. The thing about Philip is that he wasn't even one of the more prominent disciples. He was one of the, you know, middle of the road, middle in leadership, would I say. But even his negativity of somebody who wasn't influential, his negativity affected the rest of the disciples. To even Peter, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, said, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? What can you do with that, Jesus? So even somebody's negativity, who didn't have a lot of influence, it impacted all the rest of the disciples. And let me tell you right now a word of caution. When you speak a word of negativity, into the atmosphere, it changes the atmosphere. Our words bring life and death, Proverbs tells us. Life and death. So church, let's be the people who speak positively. Let's be the people who lift the atmosphere in the room. Let's be the people that when you walk in, people smile and people like you. They're not like, oh, here's negative Nancy or sad Sam or, I know, crybaby I don't know, Carl, thank you. <laughs> I need another name. But let's not be those people. Let's be the people who lift the room, lift the atmosphere, lift the faith, lift the hope. Hope should rise when you walk into a room. Something can happen when you walk in and change the atmosphere. Let's be those Christians. We have the spirit of God who lives in us. It is hope. It is joy. It is love. And that should be positive energy, lifting a room, making the room feel better, making the room feel hopeful. Let's be those people. Let's not be the Phillips. Oh, boy. I've been taking a long time on this, this, uh, this point, but... If you ever ask, you know, why would I self-sacrifice? Why would I sacrifice anything? If my resources and my strength, they're not enough. And you know what I want to tell you? Self-sacrifice anyway because what you have is not enough. 
God, God wants us to change atmospheres. He wants us to meet people in their difficulties. He wants us to help people in their hardships, right? But it's sometimes that actual disposition of being difficulty and being hardship that is a prerequisite for us to do the work. Does that make sense? Do you understand that sometimes when we feel like we are inadequate to help the needs of somebody, it's like what I have isn't enough, that's exactly where he wants us. Inadequacy is the perfect, you know, the template for God to do a miracle. Do you realize there was nothing, you know, and I really feel like if you really read the story and how Jesus was like, let me just test them. And what, I mean, Jesus knew how much food there was, but he's still having the disciples go and see how much fish and loaves people had. But he's just kind of letting them know that, what do you have? What do they have? And he's, he's kind of testing them because he's like, he's wanting them to understand that you have nothing. He wanted them to understand that there's so many people that they need to feed. And the, all the money that we have, if we bought food, couldn't feed them. He wants you to see that you are 100% inadequate. And that's exactly what he uses and who he uses to perform a miracle. Because if we had everything, if we had enough, then why would we need God? I'm telling you right now, we do need God. We are not enough. But his power activated in us and through us will perform miracles. You do not have enough. Absolutely not. But here's this thing, you know. People don't sacrifice sometimes because we don't want to be vulnerable. Why would I give my money? Why would I give 10% when I, 10% of my 100%, you know, that would only leave me 90%. That means I'm vulnerable. I don't have everything. I don't have everything. I don't have anything. Giving leaves us vulnerable. Why would I be vulnerable in my relationships? That means that I'm going to have to forgive eventually. Right? It leaves you vulnerable when you give in relationships. When you give something, we have this mentality if we give, then we're not going to receive back. But we just need to stop with that mentality. In Jesus, if we're eating the bread of life, if we're studying the word of God, and if we're in relationship with Jesus, He is enough for us that we can be vulnerable. He can protect us. But if we give, He can do more with our 10% that we can do if we had all 100%. Do you understand that? We can do more, he can do more in relationships, like really deep relationships than shallow relationships where you just kind of barely know each other and you're not really bearing each other's burdens. He can do a lot more in the depths of our relationships if we were just to give ourselves to one another in relationship. But I understand people don't want to be self-sacrificing because they don't want to be vulnerable. But God is saying to us, I am your protector. I am your refuge. I will protect you. Be vulnerable and let me, let me do a work in you and through you. Okay, I've got to move on. Finally, how can you be the change? Number four, stay satisfied in Jesus. Stay satisfied in Jesus. You know, in John 6.35, the same account, but in John, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, when he came to these people knowing that they wanted to start a revolution with him being the leader, what did he do? He began to teach them. He began to teach them the word of God. I mean, he knew that the word of God, who is him, everything about Jesus is the word of God, was going to sustain them, was going to help them. And then he handed out bread, and it was all symbolic to them understanding that I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And you know, 
when we receive, you might be thinking like, okay, so if I eat some bread that looks like it only fits in my hand, like that, <laughs> that's going to sustain me? No, it's when we receive the word into our life and when we embrace Jesus as the Lord of our life, things change. Things change. We need to stay satisfied in Jesus. Here's the thing that was interesting to me. Remember how I said that words repeated we should really key in on? Well, I asked Jesus about this word desolate. It came up a few times in this text. And I was, I was just praying about it and just, I was like, God, speak to me about desolate. What do you mean by desolate? You know, desolate is um, uh, a deserted place with people in it, a state of bleakness and dismal emptiness. Jesus wanted the disciples to go to a desolate place to rest. It's interesting, right? Go to a desolate place. So you can rest, an empty place, a place that seemed, um, what does it say, state of bleak and dismal emptiness. Go to that place and find rest. But then people came, and when they were serving, and when people were, when, when the disciples were serving all the 5,000 plus, you know, 5,000 men showed up, but that could have just been because they're, you know, they're a part of this revolution, and that could have not included their families. So it was more, actually more than 5,000 that Jesus fed and the disciples. At the end of feeding, he's like, oh, this is, they were like, this is a desolate place. Why don't you just have them go and, you know, get food? Or no, this is before they fed him. Why don't you just go have them find food somewhere else? And this is a desolate place. There's nothing for them here. The thing that was interesting to me was that Jesus was there, though. And I, I, I thought just, what is, why, why is he keying in on this word desolate? And it was because, you know, there seemed to be nothing there. But when we find ourselves in a desolate place, all he's wanting us to do to find rest is be near to him. Do you understand that? Desolate, yes, it was empty. Yes, it, it seemed like there was no food there. But he performed a miracle in a desolate place, not because of what the land had to offer, not because of what the disciples had to offer, but because of what Jesus had to offer. And all that he was asking of the disciples was to stay near to him in a desolate place. Because, you know, whether there's nobody in the desolate the desolate place, sometimes he just wants you to be with him, and then that'll give you rest. And then sometimes if there's people to be serving and be the hands and feet of Jesus in a desolate place, people who are in desolate conditions, he's saying, you need to minister to them, and by ministering to them, you will find rest. Do you understand that the finding rest in Jesus is being satisfied in his presence, in his presence alone? And I, I, and I just love that. And I want to ask you today, what are you giving people to eat? What are you giving people to eat in their desolate places? Are you trying to send them away and find a solution through, you know, the latest teaching, through the latest, you know, trend of diet? Or where are you sending people to, to you know, therapists or to whatever? I mean, I mean, I still go to therapy and I think therapy is great. But I'm just saying our first satisfaction should be found in Jesus. He says that he is the bread of life. He can sustain and fill and complete than anything else in this world can do for you. So I want to take a moment to, if the ushers would make their way to the front, and I know they're going to hand out the bread and the cup, and I think we need to take a moment here after this message was preached about Jesus' body being broken for us. I need you to understand that when he, at the end of this whole 
story, Jesus provided food for everybody, but even the disciples. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Jesus satisfied everybody and the disciples. And I, and I think that's just so amazing that God is wanting to meet every one of your needs if you would just give your life to him and if you would just understand that his body was broken for you, his blood was poured out for you on the cross so that you might have life and life eternal and a life that is full. And where you could say, I am satisfied in everything that Jesus has done for me. So we're going to sing a song, and I want to just take a moment and think about what bread actually means, what Jesus' act on the cross actually means for us today, his body broken for us, the sacrifice that he gave for us. So let's just think on that, let's meditate on that, and I'll be back just so we can partake together. So hold on to the cup and the bread as we sing, and just close your eyes. And let's just meditate Hope on this that. word encouraged you today if you haven't heard we recently purchased a building in old sacramento this is going to be the permanent home of project church we are here to stay in sacramento well i wanted to ask you if you would consider giving uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition you can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate god bless you and let's see what god can do through us